Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. It is so good to be with you on this Wednesday. Let's dive in. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville did something rather aggravating that I want to talk about, um, but actually somewhat common in politics. And uh, we'll watch or we'll talk about first what Tommy Tuberville did, then get to Joe Biden calling him out on it in a very effective fashion. So he tweeted out something that's on its face perfectly fair. He says, broadband is vital for the success of our rural communities and for our entire economy. Broadband, of course, being high-speed internet. Continuing, great to see Alabama receive crucial funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. And then he attaches to an article that's titled, Alabama to receive $1.4 billion for broadband access. Again, great. I absolutely support investments myself and um, government programs to more properly invest in broadband, especially in areas that don't have the internet access that they should have. Rural areas are a great example, are a great um, place to make those investments because of the lack of proper broadband there. And Tommy Tuberville is celebrating that, almost trying to make it seem like he can get some credit for this. Well, there's an issue with that, as Business Insider reports. Senator Tommy Tuberville voted against a bill that just gave his state $1.4 billion for rural broadband. He's celebrating it anyway, and it goes on to explain what I am now. And this comes from the infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure plan that is a big accomplishment under Joe Biden's leadership. Mostly Democrats and some Republicans came together to pass this uh, historic investment in infrastructure. One of the elements of the larger batch of investments has to do with broadband, specifically to rural communities. And uh, Tommy Tuberville proudly, aggressively, no, I don't know, just as much as he could, voted against that very bill. Why? Because it was Joe Biden making those investments. Um, and maybe he also has an ideological opposition to the government investing in things that actually benefit the lives of people, even his own constituents. But he's still proud to say, hey, look at this, $1.4 billion investing in my state. Yeah, but if you had it your way, that wouldn't be happening. Maybe that's what you should be tweeting out. And Joe Biden called him out on this uh, during a recent speech. It's no one's surprise, let's bring along some converts. People strenuously opposed, voting against it when we had this going on. They were, this was going to bankrupt America. Well, there's a guy named Tuberville, from Alabama, Senator from Alabama, who announced he strongly opposed the legislation. Now he's hailing this passage. Here's what he said, quote, It's great to see Alabama receive critical funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. We're replacing every single lead pipe in this country and putting our heads. So it's just a great example of the recognition on the part of someone like Tommy Tuberville of how popular this type of legislative action is, but for his political stunt reasons. And again, maybe he just doesn't like the idea of these types of programs and these types of investments. He actually wasn't on board with it, but he wants people to at least both see him being against Biden and being against whatever Biden does. And also think that maybe he has something to do with these investments based on a tweet like that. And we've actually seen this, um, in the past with other people who, 
often it's Republicans will send out something to this effect about something they voted against, but bragging about the success of a program that is so often led by Democrats, something Democrats pushed for, because largely the ideology, right, the conservative ideology generally says government bad, government shouldn't do things, which is obviously far uh, too nuance-free. There are some things the government can do very effectively and some things not so much. And often when Democrats do push for, because they don't have that black and white view, Democrat, uh, uh, I should say governmental programs that make proper investments in communities, Republicans want to be seen as maybe having been a part of that and uh they very much were not and this is a great example of that very enraging but also a little bit funny speaking of uh the moment that you just saw from the joe biden speech that came from um what i want to cover in this segment which is the bidenomics promotion speech he delivered a speech just uh today or yesterday and is promoting the economic growth the economic recovery that's happened while he's been president we've talked a good bit about this recently i want to walk through this speech and i do think the economic uh, uh message that he has to put out is super super important to the 2024 election and how that's going to go we'll start with this clip um and lots to discuss on this. I knew we couldn't go back to the same failed policies when I ran. So I came into office determined to change the economic direction of this country, to move from trickle-down economics to what everyone on Wall Street Journal and Financial Times began to call Bidenomics. I didn't come up with the name. I really didn't. I now claim it, but they're the ones who used it first. I got asked by a press person this morning getting on a helicopter in Washington. Why? When I asked you about Bidenomics a long time ago, you said you didn't know what it was. I said, I didn't name it Bidenomics. I didn't realize the economist in the Wall Street Journal did. But I think it's a plan that I'll, I'm happy to call Bidenomics. <laughs> and guess what? Bidenomics is working. When I took office, the pandemic was raging and our economy was reeling. Supply chains are broken. Millions of people unemployed. Hundreds of thousands of small businesses on the verge of closing after so many had already closed. Literally hundreds of thousands on the verge of closing. Today, the U.S. has the highest economic growth rate leading the world economies since the pandemic. The highest in the world. And that's something we've talked a good bit about recently because, and some of this I think you can blame on a good bit of it possibly, the lack of skill from the Democratic Party at messaging, branding, communications, and Biden's a really good example of just, he doesn't message except for um, exceptions like this as aggressively and effectively to make his own case because a lot of people are walking around while absolutely correctly understanding there to be real problems with our economy, of course, and that is something underlying we always need to address. Um, in comparison to the economic recovery of other countries and historically and expectations, Biden has overseen a very historically significant and again, in comparison to other comparable economies in the world of developed countries, the recovery from COVID has been unmatched, more effective, faster in this country. And some of that, not all of it, of course, presidents don't have complete and total authority over the economy um, and often get too much credit and too much blame very, very often. Um, but some of what Biden has done 
the massive investments in different areas of our economy. One example and a very impactful example is the American Rescue Plan that is attributed to have caused um, and created millions of jobs. That is a real accomplishment as president when you've led on and your party's led on investments that actually did have an impact. And then some of the job growth we've seen would have happened anyways, absolutely, a lot of it. Um, but also possibly the reason why we're so much faster than the rest of the world could be in part because of the leadership of Joe Biden and the Democrats and just more importantly, the demand side economic thinking that Democrats subscribe to more. Um, and so if he could make that effective uh, message more often and uh, more aggressively, I think we'd see a very different perception in the country because a lot of people are walking around thinking that Biden has caused a bunch of economic problems and he's a disaster on that front, when in reality, that's not the case. The one big indicator we're still dealing with in comparison to other economic times, not in comparison to what we want, but other economic times, the main thing that's still uh, stubbornly not great is inflation. And that, as I've gone through specifically in the past many, many times, has to do with variables outside of Biden's control for the most part. Uh, next moment from this speech, and this was in Chicago, by the way. Vision is a fundamental break from the economic theory that has failed America's middle class for decades now. It's called trickle-down economics. Fundamental economics, trickle-down. The idea was, it's believed that we should cut taxes for the wealthy and big corporations. And I know something about big corporations. There's more corporations in Delaware Incorporated than every other state in the union combined. I, I want them to do well, but I'm, I'm tired of waiting for the trickle-down. It doesn't come very quickly. Not much trickle down on my dad's kitchen table growing up. Yeah, it's gone by different names, but the trickle down, you know, supply side, if we cut taxes for the wealthy and corporations, trust us, we're going to grow the economy in amazing ways and so many working class people are going to prosper. And Or we could do what does have a historic uh, a historical and um, uh, impressive record, a precedent, which is demand-side spending that does um, benefit the working class directly and the entire economy. It touches all corners of the economy. Um, when you do properly invest in the working class, you don't undertax the wealthy and you uh, do invest in programs that benefit so many people. It is the way to grow the economy in an equ equitable way but still we have to deal with even though the records there the facts are there this ideology that just serves to benefit the powerful and the wealthy of no uh, just give them as much money as possible i promise then eventually the working class will benefit um effectively and a great example of why we know in part this to be the case what i'm outlining is the record under democrats versus republicans in regard to the economy even though Democrats aren't more fiscally irresponsible, meaning they aren't, um, based on the historical record, more likely to increase the deficit more, or more likely to add more debt to um, the national debt than Republicans. Actually, Republicans are more likely to do those things. Um, but with that in mind, over the last 100 years, Democrats have overseen, when they're in power, better economic growth and better economic metrics on all the metrics we use essentially to measure 
the economy. And so clearly a more, even though a lot of Democrats have their flaws in their economic thinking and they aren't willing to make the proper investments, a more working class friendly demand side spending type ideology does better for the economy while not adding more um, to deficit and debt spending, even though Republicans try to brand themselves out of that. Uh, last clip we'll look at, making fun of Trump about not investing in infrastructure while Biden has. It builds on my decision to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement on the first day I came to office. The first day. And by the way, my predecessor talked a lot about increasing manufacturing. Remember Infrastructure Week? Infrastructure Week became Infrastructure Week and Week and Week and Week and Week. It never happened. We got Infrastructure Decade done right off the bat. But in so it is true that Trump promised over and over and over again that he was going to unveil an incredible infrastructure plan. He's going to invest in infrastructure, the most beautiful infrastructure you've ever seen. And uh, similar to his health care plan and finishing the wall, Mexico's going to pay for it and all these different things and didn't follow through. Biden also hasn't followed through on certain campaign promises, um, but... He got infrastructure done and the plan was far from perfect, but it was a historic investment in infrastructure, the largest since the Eisenhower um, highway program. And it's making an actual impact and benefiting people. That's why Tommy Tuberville, as we talked about in the last segment, is trying to <laughs> take credit for that infrastructure plan, even though he voted against it. So um, I really hope, even though Biden does have a lot of issues with communicating as we've talked about and isn't able to make his case effectively um a lot of times this message of kind of because his polls are low he has to figure out how to message his way out of that and say listen however you feel about me maybe you're worried about my age or you're worried about my uh like i said communication ability but i got results to run on and an actual record and that's something donald trump does not have except for a disastrous record, um, especially when you factor into his handling of of COVID, such a notable part, a notable failure of Trump's presidency, whereas Biden did a really good job of at least overseeing, we can't ever know exactly how much credit to give, but overseeing an economic recovery while getting through a lot of pretty progressive legislation, far from what we want, far from my dream president, but um, a lot of actual successes that are making an impact, and hopefully he'll be able to make that case. We move from Biden uh, to the person that will probably be running against Biden, Donald Trump, in the general election, of course. Uh, he delivered a speech, and this is in New Hampshire. I, even though, as I always say, all of this is enraging, the dishonesty, the constant fear-mongering about things that aren't happening, it's enraging, definitely. Also, some of these things, because I try to keep a little bit of a lighthearted approach when talking about and researching for the show and stuff in regard to politics, um, is a little funny, this particular clip, because of how absurd it is on the part of Donald Trump. He says, Biden's coming for the stove, of course, the gas stove, as we've been hearing. And also, he's going to take away your washing machines and your dryers. Oh, they want to take away your... Your gas stoves. Does anybody like gas better? You cook a lot more than I do. Because I have a lot of friends that are really into the cooking thing, and they say gas is the cooking thing. better. So, But they want to take it away. They want to take away your washing machines and your dryers. 
they don't want to give you any water for the washing machine. Even though you have so much water, you don't know what the hell to do with it up here. It flows out into the ocean. They- so that did get me uh, laughing earlier on today. Uh, we have more from the speech to look at, but it obviously is kind of the last so you don't cry at how dishonest so many people are, including Trump being one of the most in in politics, saying that, number one, Biden's going to take away your gas stove. That's not happening. Number two, your washing machines, your dryers. He's also taking away your water, I guess. <laughs> Jared Moskowitz has been on an arc, you could say, in making fun of the gas stove freakout. And <clears throat> he said, step right up, name, name an appliance, any appliance. They're coming for your romp appeal food dehydrators. It's so absurd, and I really do think it's uh, proof of how little of an argument or how few good arguments they feel like Trump and many others feel like they have because they have to resort to making up nonsense about what Biden is doing and what the Democrats are doing. Next moment from the speech. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists indict me, I consider it a badge, a great, great, beautiful badge of honor and courage. Because I'm being indicted for you. And I believe that you is far more than 200 million people that love our country. So we've heard that one from him many times. I don't know where on earth he gets the 200 million figure from. Also, it makes absolutely no sense to say that he's being indicted for other people when he's being indicted for his actions, his violations, um, or alleged violations of the law. And that is what he's being held accountable for, not because he's bravely standing in between the fascists, Marxists, communists, as he says, um, who are targeting MAGA, I guess. And people love that. They absolutely eat it up oh trump he's so brave and he's fighting for us and he's getting indicted for us how how did you mishandle classified documents then you're good okay this has nothing to do with you other than your guy being the one who betrayed you and the whole country with these actions and not uh keeping safe our secrets and handling them uh them in the ways that he did next moment but they are fighting me. They, they even tried to have me arrested. I'm a candidate. I said, wait a minute, I'm a candidate. You're arresting a candidate? Yeah, because you're leading. That's why we're arresting. If you were losing or if you weren't a candidate, we'd have no problem. But they are. And that about sums up his entire stance on his indictment, his legal troubles. He's being... Uh, arrested as he said as a candidate or he's being indicted while he's running for president which in his mind shouldn't be able to happen so can people defending trump just admit yes they think that either candidates for president anyone who announces i guess or former presidents or presidents should be above the law or they don't even believe that and i know they don't because they would love for Hillary when she was running for president to be arrested or Biden once he's a former president to be arrested, um, even though they can't exactly name the laws they think those individual uh, individuals violated. And so that's not even a principle. It's just Trump should be above the law. And no one will admit to that, even though I would take issue with someone coming out and just saying, no, I just love Trump so much. I don't think the law applies to him. At least that would be 
more logically consistent on their part. At least they would be honest in that situation rather than making all these absurd arguments like, how dare they arrest me? I'm a candidate. Yeah, that doesn't matter when it comes to the application of the law. Very aggravating, wild, and especially with that first clip, sometimes so absurdly funny. The governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, delivered the commencement address at Northwestern University. And there's one moment that uh, is going viral that's just really, really impactful that I want to show you all. This isn't as strictly political as we're normally um, focused on, but has a lot of political ramifications for sure, and a lot of just life um, applications and so I'll show you this. He's talking about, I should give you a little more context before diving in. The key phrase you'll hear him say, and this is right at the beginning, is how do you spot an idiot? Okay. Look for the person who is cruel. The kindest person in the room is often the smartest. And I know that sounds a little gushy, a little whatever, but we'll dive into more specifically why that's just such a wise sentiment after. The best way to spot an idiot, look for the person who is cruel. Let me explain. When we see someone who doesn't look like us, or sound like us, or act like us, or love like us, or live like us, the first thought that crosses almost everyone's brain is rooted in either fear or judgment, or both. That's evolution. We survived as a species by being suspicious of things that we aren't familiar with. In order to be kind, we have to shut down that animal instinct and force our brain to travel a different pathway. Empathy and compassion are evolved states of being. They require the mental capacity to step past our most primal urges. This may be a surprising assessment because somewhere along the way in the last few years, our society has come to believe that weaponized cruelty is part of some well thought out master plan. Cruelty is seen by some as an adroit cudgel to gain power. Empathy and kindness are considered weak. Many important people look at the vulnerable only as rungs on a ladder to the top. I'm here to tell you that when someone's path through this world is marked with acts of cruelty, they have failed the first test of an advanced society. They never forced their animal brain to evolve past its first instinct. They never forged new mental pathways to overcome their own instinctual fears. And so their thinking and problem solving will lack the imagination and creativity that the kindest people have in spades. Over my many years in politics and business, I have found one thing to be universally true. The kindest person in the room is often the smartest absolutely correct um it's important to call out the individual instances of cruelty absolutely and that's what i do on a daily basis and so many people do within politics of course we're we're thinking of now and also i do think more often calling out the larger phenomenon the larger um forces at play here that cause people to fall into or decide to um, go after communities, target people, dehumanize others, be cruel to others. Because right now, especially on the far right, we're seeing a um, very common and often far too effective political strategy within certain um, 
spaces of picking a community often it's right now huge lgbtq community constant um punching bag for the far right and using that community again as a punching bag for the applause of your base and to further your political career and people do that politicians do that we're seeing these uh, this wave of anti-LGBTQ legislation and the vitriolic rhetoric that comes along with it. They do this um, to appear strong. I'm reminded of the Florida state lawmaker who called trans people demons um, and mutants. And in that speech he gave or those remarks he delivered, he said something to the effect of, you can come at me, but I'm going to win. I'm going to win or something um, to that effect. And that was him trying to appear for whoever he feels or his followers and his supporters, him trying to appear strong as he's going after and beating up on um, an already targeted dehumanized group of people. And what that is in the case of him and so many other people going after all different communities and all these different conversations that we have is the best example of weakness, the most prominent, prevalent example of a weak person who chooses to um, to push somebody down to try to feel higher up or all the different phrases you've heard in the past describe this phenomenon of kind of as J.B. Pritzker was talking about the instinct that people have maybe because of evolution, as he was saying, to divide, divide, divide into tribes, into um packs you're thinking of wolves possibly here and uh that's a way of survival that we should have uh evolved past we should have um become more intelligent than intelligent i should say than a wolf pack that has to get into its little <laughs> subdivided groups to um survive i don't know or something like that you know how nature does um and we can be so much more than just that animals who are in our pack and it is not acceptable to dehumanize people just because they're not in your pack or in your tribe or in your um little community your little world your little bubble and that's a really really important message to put out there and even though kindness right now is a fluffy kind of less discussed characteristic that we should all strive to be it really is a powerful powerful characteristic and a powerful thing to strive to be kind um and i think one of the things i admire about even though there are plenty of people who support incorrect policies who are very kind interpersonally in a larger sense progressivism i do think comes from a foundation of of empathy kindness and a motivation to help other people even though you don't have to be this super, super empathetic person to look at the facts and understand that progressive policies yield better outcomes. Objectively, on all these different metrics, I can explain why the policies I support are good, unrelated to any feelings. But once you include the feelings, you do understand what J.B. Pritzker is talking about. You have to be more able to understand and care about others to want to spend your time, political capital, emotional energy, fighting for the improvement of the lives of all people and to prevent yourself from ever falling into, I'm just going to demonize whoever isn't exactly like me and uh, credit there to JB Pritzker. 
I'm going to tell you this story. If you've seen it already, then it's spoiled. But uh, I'm going to tell you kind of this story in, in a backwards way because of how funny the conclusion will then be. Will then be. Kevin McCarthy is now apologizing and uh, trying to make up for the fact that he said something about Donald Trump. Okay, I'll show you at the end what he said about Trump because you're going to think it's way worse based on the reaction of Kevin McCarthy right now and of kind of his political apparatus, um, how they're reacting right now. So here's a New York Times article reporting on this. And this is just a great profile um, in weakness and in a lack of courage on the part of Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy questions strength of Trump's candidacy, then quickly backtracks. So imagine for this amount of hubbub that we're about to talk about, the debacle we're going to walk through. He must have said something really, really bad about the strength of Trump. And I'll show you this reporting about the backtracking that's going on on the part of Kevin McCarthy and his, his camp. Yeah, a day of cleanup yesterday for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He held a call, called the former president yesterday to apologize, according to new reporting from our colleagues Melanie Zanona and Kristen Holmes, where he both apologized, he told the former president that he misspoke, and, of course, he blamed reporters for taking the comments out of context, according to McCarthy. But that wasn't where it ended, Sarah. He also had an exclusive interview with Breitbart News, a right-leaning right-leaning news agency to try to talk more about why he believed Donald Trump was the strongest candidate to beat Joe Biden. Later, his campaign sent out a fundraising email saying that Donald Trump was stronger than ever. This just goes to show you that Kevin McCarthy knows that his right flank is so important for him to hold on to his speakership. He cannot anger people in his conference who are getting behind the former president, who are fervently behind him at all times, no matter what that means. Okay, so you get it. Kevin McCarthy called Donald Trump, apologizing. They took me out of context. I don't feel that way. You're so strong. You're so incredible. I love you. Because of, as the CNN correspondent is noting, of how necessary it is for him to keep that part, the hardcore MAGA pro-Trump part of his party happy, for him to keep his speakership. And uh, with that being said, here's what he said. Get ready. It's pretty harsh <laughs> against Trump. That's just, but there's plenty of networks that are covering Trump and Biden and all the things that yeah. are happening. And they're covering it. Some are, aren't covering all of it, but, but we're going to cover it right now. So Trump's been indicted. Um, his poll numbers are going up, so primary voters like him. It, it, if he wins the primary, do you think he can win the general? And is it good for the Republican Party if, if Donald Trump is the nominee? Look, can, and then I want to get to Biden can, and, and can, his malarkey defense and all that can stuff. Trump, can Trump beat Biden? Yes, yeah, he can beat Biden. You, is that a good thing for the Republican Party if Donald Trump is the... Look, is the, the Republicans the, get to select their nominee. I think if you want to go sheer policy to policy, it's not good for Republicans, it's good for America. Trump's policies are better, straightforward than Biden. It makes policy. it complicated if, it. if he's got all these trials and, and, and all this stuff overhanging. It the, makes it complicated. Also helps him when. But do you think he could win an election? Could he win an election? And, can he and win get, that election? Yeah, he can. You think he can? You, the, the question is: Is he the strongest to win the election? I don't know that answer. But can somebody? Can anybody beat Biden? Yeah, anybody can beat Biden. Can. That's it. And now he's calling Trump. He's uh, sending out emails talking about how strong Trump is, fundraising emails. He's panicking. 
because he said, is he the strongest? I don't know, but he could beat Biden. He's the best. I love him. 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 <laughs> and also maybe he's not the strongest candidate ever. And that he's having to make up for. Uh, it's a cult. <laughs> That's crazy talk. No one would even care because this conversation happens constantly on the left. If you're kind of like, mm, Biden seems to be the guy who's going to be the nominee and uh, a million times better than Trump. And here's some policies I like, but is he the strongest? I don't know. Um, probably not. And here, unacceptable. Unacceptable. It's really, really embarrassing. And this reminds me of, you might remember, after January 6th, um, Kevin McCarthy correctly, shockingly, said that Trump is to blame. And uh, he got caught, I guess you could say, on a phone call making that very clear. And then he traveled down this iconic photo to Mar-a-Lago to lick the boots of Donald Trump, lick the golf shoes of Donald Trump, and um, show his support because he was on a journey to become speaker. And he knew that the way he would become speaker is to kiss up to Trump. And the Republican Party won't stop being this way until the other part of the party does the same thing. Until it stops becoming the MAGA people abuse and um, demand everything of the more moderate Republicans and the moderates don't do, do the same to the MAGA. Moderates need to take a stand as well and actually stand up against this MAGA ideology. Because right now, MAGA says... We're not going to support anyone unless they're absolutely loyal to our ideology and us, and they constantly kiss up to our leader. And so then Republicans allow that to be the defining aspect of their party. Come on, snap out of it, because this is just, and I guess I'm okay with it as someone who doesn't vote for Republicans, but really, really embarrassing. Uh, speaking of Donald Trump, his lawyer, Alina Abba, did such a bizarre humiliating interview where I guess you could say a phrase I've used in the past and applies to a lot of these stories. Her brain just stopped functioning. No more functioning of the Alina Abba um, brain tissue. That's strange. <laughs> um, and she's trying to cover for Trump, of course, her uh, employer, and uh, did not do a very good job. Take a look at this theory that she floated. If you look at what's happened just this week, Rob, we had a submarine as a distraction because Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who was on his way to Camp David, got, got caught, got a slap on the wrist. Meanwhile, Alan Weisselberg, who did far less, spent 180 days in jail. Right. We have J.P. Morgan paying Epstein's people $250 million. Nobody covered it. This is a continuation of what we've seen, right? It's a political demonstration of corruption. Does this lead? What is she talking about? Why? They're so lazy with their talking points, too. So she's saying that the Titan submersible and the tragedy of people dying um, as they were going down to see the Titanic in the Titan submersible, that was a distraction from Hunter Biden, or at least the coverage of it was a distraction from Hunter Biden's plea agreement. She's saying he just got a slap on the wrist, which is kind of the talking point, sweetheart deal, when in reality, the plea agreement he got was good for Hunter Biden, for sure. He avoided any prison time, but it had to do with tax charges. Two uh, years he didn't pay his taxes that 
um, getting dealt with and then a uh, lying on a federal form about being addicted to controlled substances. He said he wasn't when he was getting a firearm and he was so a gun potential charge there and the plea agreement that he got was very much in line with similar plea agreements that come of situations like this with these types of potential charges. So it's very strange that that's the talking point and then to say that the JP Morgan Chase settlement with Epstein uh, victims what what that's also getting distracted from with the Trump tapes? I, I don't know. Uh, this is from Reuters, in case you missed this. J.P. Morgan Chase, $290 million settlement with Epstein accusers uh, wins preliminary approval. So what's going on there is, and we have more to look at from Alina Amba in a moment, but um, the victims of Jeffrey Epstein are going to J.P. Morgan Chase and saying, you should have seen the facts coming to the surface about Jeffrey Epstein sooner and cut off business with him. But they did not um, as promptly as they should have, should have, and so they're going to have to pay out to the victims, which is really a good thing, but I don't understand at all how that connects to her defense of Trump. <laughs> Who knows? Um, pretty wild. Next moment from this interview. I don't know where else this, this would have come from. Well, we where, where else would it have? I, I, I don't know. From, it couldn't from, have come from, from the anyone. reporter that recorded it? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't. It's impossible. So let me start this over. I think you pick up on the context from what you just heard there, but they're speculating as to who leaked the audio to CNN. I don't know where else this this would have come from. Well, we where, where else would it have? I I, I don't know. From, it couldn't from, have come from, from the anyone. reporter that recorded it. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't. It's impossible. The reporter wouldn't have. As you heard in the reporting, they said off the record. He said off the record. They wouldn't do that. There has to be some evidence that came from the DOJ. Why? Because they're losing. They're losing in the polls. They're losing in the media, and they're losing this case. That's what happens. Do you think they? Do, do you think they? I don't know. We'll see if they lose this case, Alina Abba. We'll see. Um, I'm pretty confident, actually, about the prosecution's case here, especially based on this audio recording. And there's no evidence the DOJ leaked this. It's actually much more likely that, yes, the person who recorded that conversation, um, that whole interaction, bizarre <laughs> moment, they gave it to CNN, or um, it could have been for a number of different reasons being speculated about from Trump's camp because shortly after his um team was handed these these bits of evidence including that audio recording it leaked the doj has had that recording for a very long time now but it just now leaked only days after trump's team got it um but i think it's most likely whoever recorded it gave it up but she says no it's impossible because trump said off the record yeah okay um and then last thing we'll look at this is from a fox news interview this same day Tape says. It's so is a, it's it the stupid. position of the president that when he was having that conversation, the information that he was talking about mm -hmm. was already declassified? Or was it what he told Brett Baird that it was a news article there? Or is it either or? Or is it both? I don't. Before we watch a response, which is priceless, that question. Okay, so Trump in an interview shortly before the audio was published says, no, in that audio that's being reported on, because we had the transcript, but we hadn't yet actually heard the audio, um, or we had reporting about the transcript. Oh, no, that's not, it's not a document per se is how he worded it. It's not a classified document. Um, it was just papers. I was talking about articles and it wasn't at all a classified document. Then you hear the recording. Clearly it is a document that is classified that's about a possible attack on Iran that's being referred to. Um, and the Fox News host there because he's 
asking a question that's a question that should be asked, but also wants to frame it in kind of a Fox News friendly to Alina Abba type way. So is it that he was lying in that interview or he was telling the truth? Or is it kind of, it's it's an article like he said, but it's a declassified article? <laughs> Could it be both or either? Or we don't really care. I don't know, and here's what I do know. The clip they put out doesn't answer that question. All it says is President Trump said, hi, look, hi. if I was president, I can declassify a classified document. And when you're not president, you can't. Only the president can do that. What does that say? Well, it says exactly what dual system of justice we're living in. That's what I heard. That's what, what? I saw. And I would, and, and by the way, all we know- She says, that's what I heard. She's listening to the audio recording. Mm, proof, two-tier justice system right here. Trump's being targeted by- an audio recording that catches him in the act committing a crime. Um, wow. How does that come out of your mouth? And then, you know, I was just talking about earlier in today's show, um, prioritizing kindness and the importance of kindness. I know I'm kind of contradicting that with what I'm about to say, but I'm getting far too much pleasure experiencing the panic coming from people like Alina Abba, the unraveling, the complete incapability of creating forming and delivering an effective argument because there isn't one as to why what we heard in that audio was acceptable it wasn't and it's exactly what uh he's being accused of he's being caught in the audio um proving it's pretty stunning so because of the clear undeniable nature of something like that you have to go well listen we don't even he was just saying in the audio no 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 you you heard it wrong he was saying generally I can't declassify, but that has nothing to do with the document that I'm referring to as being the document that I can't declassify. No, no, no. He was just generally talking about how the law works um, unrelated to the quote unquote this as he's shaking a document you can hear um, that was being referred to. And also this really, when you think about it, just proves uh, what's the talking point? Oh, yeah. Weaponized against conservatives. And then she snaps back into that pretty embarrassing and as i said i do prioritize kindness but i think there's one not one but there's an example where it's okay to go yes you should feel uncomfortable embarrassed humiliated that you have to be that dishonest that's on you alina abba i talked about on this week's bonus show you can get access to that at slash membership quick plug there uh, Fox and Friends, how much I love whenever they get into those little those little clashes between Steve Ducey and Brian Kilmeade where Steve Ducey says actual facts, which is not common on the Fox News airwaves, and Brian Kilmeade um, and Ainsley Earhart, the other co-host, get noticeably uncomfortable and try to shut it down. Another example of that for you on the subject of the Trump tape. All right, uh, Jillian, thank you very much. Also, um, on the plane going up, we just saw some Fox News digital of him up in New Hampshire. The plane flying up to New Hampshire, uh, ABC and Semaphore were both on board and uh, asked the president a little bit about, you know, when you were holding up those documents and stuff like that, what were you talking about? And he said, I had no documents. He said, he explained, look, my desk was uh, loaded up with papers. I just held up a pile of papers. And then, of course, during the Brett Baer interview of about a week ago. So he's, he's setting up the story and then the good parts towards the end. Before we watch the rest of this, though, I haven't talked about that today. This reporting, he talked to some publications, I think it was ABC and Semaphore, about uh, once again trying to cover for 
the Trump tape and make up excuses for it and all of that. And uh, Trump says, no, it's just bravado. That was the word he used. It was just bravado. I was just picking up random papers and saying, look at this. And isn't this cool? And I could have declassified it, but I'm not. Hey, that was actually just unrelated documents about golfing, I think was one of the things he said. I had all these documents, plans for new buildings. When I'm talking about a plan, it wasn't a plan for an attack on Iran. Like I was saying that it was, it was actually a plan for a new property I was going to build. It was so incoherent. And that's kind of what's being discussed. His his new defense for this. Uh, Donald Trump used the word. The things Oops, he sorry, I muted it on accident. Uh, Donald Trump used the word plans to describe some of the things he was highlighting. And he said, um, those were building plans. Those are actually plans for golf courses and not, as Jillian just said, uh, war plans. So the president, former presidents, you got to figure if you're his defense attorney, because he said so many things about these and they're about to have a heart attack. They no, you don't get it. When I say plans for an attack on Iran, everyone knows in my friend group, that means golf course. Attack on Iran's code for golf course that we're gonna build. Probably it's said to him a million times, do you really have to talk about that? Because the more you talk, the harder our job is. Well, he's very transparent, he always has been, and he answers questions, and so his lawyers might not like it, but a lot of Americans do like it's it. Interesting. Mark Esper was on uh, CNN yesterday, and they said, what do you think about this? At the end, they go, you know, what about this audio that came out? And Mark Esper was the Secretary of Defense. He said, I find it odd, because it sounds like multiple pages. And we, one thing about the president, no matter what the briefing was, no matter what the topic was, it was one page, supposed to be a placemat presentation. Right. So, <laughs> we still haven't gotten to the good part. But in trying to defend Trump, <laughs> Brian Kilby'd say, it, it's a play. <laughs> he couldn't read multiple pages. <laughs> they're saying it was one. They're saying that he had a document on Iran, but he's shuffling multiple pages. So it couldn't have been because they only gave him one page documents on anything. <laughs> I'm not sure if there's anything that we had given him. That, that that doesn't sound like anything we had given him. So it's going to be interesting to see what he's actually holding up and if it's just audio, not video. And the other thing is just find it amazing is we never hear from Robert Hur's investigation. We always hear from Donald Trump's investigation. And just, just amazing, he always goes to New York Times and CNN. Well, maybe, uh, maybe Trump's side is leaking. Well, the Trump's side's leaking yeah. audio? Why would his side be leaking audio? Maybe they've been himself? leaking a lot of stuff during the entire process. I've never heard that. But I've never heard that. Yeah, especially with this bit of evidence because of the timing of it get, getting turned over and kind of the evidence disclosure over to the uh, defense to Trump's camp. And then right after that, after the DOJ had that evidence for a super long time, now right after Trump's world gets it, boom, it leaks. Definitely seems a little suspicious there, um, even though they want it to seem like, see, this is another example. Jack Smith, he's coordinating with CNN. Whoa. And then as to why Robert Hur's investigation isn't leaking, what would be the story there? So if you're not familiar, Robert Hur is the special counsel that Merrick Garland appointed to make sure everything looked non-political, even though people will still accuse him of being politically biased, um, to investigate the Biden classified document situation. What's the bombshell there? So uh, the leak is Biden and his lawyers found classified documents. He didn't know he had them. This is what it seems to be based on the evidence, but investigate if something other than this is the case, then um, 
accountability. Great. But as of now, it seems to be the case that right when Biden's lawyers found this information, they turned it over to federal authorities. What's the bombshell? What's the story? Part of the reason all these leaks are coming out of Trump's investigation is because the information that could be leaked is so dang stunning. And so then there's some motivation there. Again, probably or at least there's a chance from around Trump himself, people around him, like we saw a lot of whenever he was president, leaks out of his administration. But I just love those little interactions between Steve Ducey and uh, Brian Kilmeade because of the discomfort that comes into the faces of Brian Kilmeade and Ainsley Earhart, who are more always ideologically aligned with kind of the Fox News narrative. Um, and I also love Brian Kilmeade saying they would do placemat presentations one pagers for trump and it doesn't sound like based on the discussions this iran attack had any illustrations in it so how on earth could it have been something they gave to trump oh goodness i don't think you're making him look good brian quick thing uh, before we go i've decided i'm going all out when it comes to traveling to these trump events trump rallies speeches and talking to trump supporters what i mean is i'm really going to put in the effort to make it to a lot of those because of how stunning the content is that comes of those experiences talking to trump supporters and i think in a sense it's hard to pass up knowing that i'm interacting with what will later be seen as just and should be now but definitely in history class later on as the largest cult that had developed up until that point in time in such a dangerous unprecedented movement of cult followers behind trump especially those that go to the trump rallies and so um, I don't want to miss out on a lot of those kind of unheard of experiences. Um, and so I'm going to be going to a lot of them, even though sometimes it uh, feels like a lot of effort. <laughs> um, and that applies to this weekend, pick in South Carolina. I'm telling you this, number one, to warn you, get ready, because a whole lot of good content's coming your way as the events pick up and um, I'm able to travel to more of them, including pick in South Carolina this weekend. I'm telling you that now so that and by the way, that doesn't affect Thursday show, Friday show, bonus show, all normal. But um, to give you an opportunity to send in to lukebeasleyshow.com slash contact uh, any questions, topics you want me to get on with the Trump supporters so that we can kind of, as a community, go through these experiences together. Um, I'll see in comments, oh, you should have asked this. You should have done this follow-up question. Why didn't you ask about this subject? Here's your shot, lukebeasleyshow.com slash contact to i don't know how much of it will absorb in my brain be able to be spit back out in the moment but i'll try my best and we can like i said experience this more together um and it will be wild so with that being said i will see you all tomorrow